Carlton, come over here for just a second. I want to ask you just to pray for me and us. Can you do that? Yes. Check. Hey. Lord, thank you so much for today. Thank you so much for Jason. And I just ask that you'd give him a fresh anointing uh, to communicate your word. Um, yeah, Lord, we just ask that you would fill this place and soften hearts and minds to be able to receive what you have for us today. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thanks, bud. Um, it's, uh, um, it, it's, it's always fun when I have people come and visit, and we, we have the, well, we have a whole bunch of family coming this summer, and the first ones here are my brother, Todd, and his wife, Samantha. Can you wave? There you go. There you go. Right there. there. They're, they're basically still newlyweds. Um, they, they, got, they got married last summer, and it was the most, well, we called it the most unlikely thing that's ever happened in the history of our family. Todd is the oldest, and we all thought that he was never going to get married. He was just like, he was saying he never was, and he was fine to be married to his work. He's a teacher at a Christian school, and he does an amazing job. And so he loves his job. He loves his son, uh, who he adopted uh, two years ago, has been with him pretty much his whole life. And we thought, well, maybe that's just going to be that. And in comes Samantha. And I actually knew Samantha way back in the day because I was on staff at the School of the Bible and YWAM many years ago, and she was one of the students. And, and then she ended up taking my Greek class off my hands and teaching that. So we already thought very, very highly of her. And we found out that this was a thing. And we were like, what? This is a thing? This can't be a thing. And then they actually got married. And it was... I, I couldn't believe it until I was actually there to see this is actually taking place. So anyway, they're great, and it's great to have them here. Um, we're not going to talk for very long today because all of you guys are thinking about brisket, um, and I'm thinking about brisket also. I'm going to be honest with you. So uh, we're, we're, I, we're, we've been doing a series here on loving our city, and so I want to I, I give a little bit of, of context um, we've been uh, talking about how to reach our city in a more effective, uh, transformative way, uh, Junction City and Eugene, and just reaching our culture. And uh, the, uh, there's a phrase that, that we've been using. We didn't make this up, but it's a, it's a good phrase. And, and here it is. Here's our aim. Our aim is for the whole church to take the whole gospel to the whole city. So we started with whole church, and, and we talked about how it can't just be one Body, it's going to have to be all of the body of Christ working together. And, and Pastor Joshua talked about that and then talked about uh, uh, our inter interdependence uh, on one another and how to stay strong in the midst of being uh, a church. And then last week, uh, I discussed uh, uh, what that means for, for that, that, that this, this movement of, of, of loving our city can't just be a thing where uh, uh, the, the professionals um, lead that. It can't just be the pastoral staff. It has to be all of us, the priesthood of all believers, loving the city in the way that we're able to. Um, so today, I want to take the second part of this, uh, being the, the whole gospel. Um, the, uh, uh, we're, you know, we live in a place, especially when people first move here, uh, the first thing that hits them is, is this, especially if they move from, say, a Bible Belt kind of place, you know, they, they feel the cultural clash, and they say, this is a very dark place. And what they mean by that is, well, this is a place supposedly that uh, is the least churched area in the country. Uh, you guys know that. There's all kinds of things that are just uh, very uh, uh, at odds 
with the church uh, and uh, oftentimes with the, with the kingdom of God. And so in, in, in figuring out how to reach our city, there's new ways we need to think and uh, uh, new strategies to take. And I want to tell you, this whole thing about Eugene being a dark place, this is changing, guys. This is changing. And, and so we can't hold on to this thing, this sort of self-loathing thing about our city. If you don't love your city, you either need to pray that God will change your heart or you need to move. Is that too harsh? Okay, I'm sorry. I wasn't planning on saying that, but I really think that's true. If you don't love your neighbors, then learn to love your neighbors or else go somewhere else where you can love people because you're going to end up toxic. All right, that was for free. Um, so what we are gleaning a lot from people who, who are having success in reaching post-Christian environments like we're in. Um, so the, the, the group that we're gleaning from most is actually the church in Portland. There's amazing things right now happening in Portland, you guys. Unbelievable. Now, we, we watched a, a short video about a month ago um, it, that gave you a little taste of it. I'm going to show you another short video this morning. Uh, this is from Kevin Palau. He's the son of Luis Palau the worldwide evangelist, um, and he's the president of the Plow organization. He recently wrote a book, and this, this uh, video is a trailer for that book. The book is called Unlikely. I, I cannot recommend this book enough. It's excellent, and uh, uh, we're huge fans of, of Kevin Plow and what they're doing. So I want to play this video and let you see a little bit of, of how Portland is reaching, how the Church of Portland is reaching the city. This whole crazy story began in Portland, Oregon, which is among the most quirky, proudly progressive cities in the country. Portland's a place that values diversity and doing things differently. So to be based as a, as a Christian organization in a place like Portland, Oregon, uh, is kind of crazy to begin with. The evangelical community has often been known across the country as a, as a group that opposes things. We've been known more for what we're against rather than what we're for. So we did something really, really simple. We went to the mayor and we said, you know what? We acknowledge that if we're honest, we're known more for opposing things than being for the city. We'd love to change that. And what we thought of was simple. We, we said, if we could mobilize 15,000 folks from our churches to love and serve Portland, what could we do? And that began this amazing conversation over a series of years, really, of finding common ground among the churches and with people very different from us around serving the community. So at the very beginning, it began with the mayor putting forward very obvious focus areas like hunger and homelessness, healthcare, partnering with public schools, making a difference in the foster care system. We created this environment of mutual understanding and, and working for the common good, and, and, and the churches began serving in some extraordinary ways. My hope for Unlikely is that individual followers of Jesus will be inspired in how they live their lives, to be more open to unlikely kinds of friendships and partnerships with people that are far from Jesus in their mind, to realize that rather than these things being barriers, that there's always common ground that can be found that can lead to some incredibly life-giving new relationships that can change your life as well as change the lives of someone else. I'd also love to think that the church collectively could make more of a difference in city after city after city. I wrote this book because I'm so passionate and excited about what God is doing in Portland, Oregon, this place that I've grown up and, and, and love so much. To see trust being built all across the Portland metro area from parts of the community that would have in the past said that we're enemies, that would now say, you know what, we have a lot more in common than we ever thought possible. To have people say, even like 
Sam Adams, our former mayor, when he would said, you know, I thought my, I was an educated person. I realized that I had a lot of stereotypes myself that were keeping me from even developing a relationship with that part of the community. To see those kinds of relationships being formed for the good of the city and the good of communicating this life-changing message of Jesus Christ, that's why I wrote the book. So uh, that, that story, uh, I, I, look, these guys have done some, some really incredible stuff. He, they, he mentioned uh, a whole bunch of areas, but I want to take three areas that he mentioned here uh, and just, just let you know what's happened in uh, Portland uh, mostly over the last uh, six, seven years here. Um, it, he, he mentioned uh, school partnerships. It's funny that we bring this up because it's exactly what we're talking about here with Kelly and, and, and Briggs Middle School. Uh, this began uh, in earnest when a big church decided to adopt Roosevelt High School, which is, uh, uh, was the most crime-ridden, poorest uh, um, school district in, in, all of, in, in all of Portland. A really rough place. And so the mayor specifically asked for special attention for that school. So this church, this big affluent church in the suburbs, sent like a thousand volunteers and, and that worked at this school one day. They did just what we do with Project Hope. They did landscaping, washing, painting, all these things. And uh, at the end of the day, these guys are looking at each other thinking, this can't stop here. This, church need, this school needs us. And so they begin to pour into this school. Uh, I won't go into all the results, but let me give another plug. There's been a documentary about how the church has loved this particular school. It just came out last year. It's called Undivided, and it's on Netflix, Okay. You need to watch this because it is staggering the difference that the church has made in this school. They've, they, they've uh, mentored, they sent mentors in, uh, they, they've fed the students because so many of them are coming in totally hungry. I mean, they come, you know, there's, there's so much poverty. Uh, they, so, so they've done that. They've clothed them. Uh, they sent uh, uh, people to work with uh, the football program and with the, uh, just everything you can think of. The church has moved in and loved this school. And the results were so drastic that the superintendent of the Portland School District came to Kevin Palau and CityServe because they're the, the sort of like the you could say kind of like the one hope of Portland. And they came to them and said, this was so good. Is there any way that you could help, that, that you could rally the churches and that every one of our 400 public schools in Portland could have a church adopting us? This is Portland. Do you hear that? So ultra progressive Portland that doesn't like God very much and has this reputation. The leadership in the public school is asking the church to come in and help. So that is what Portland is working on. They have the, the, the school partnership network is working on that very thing. So doing amazing things there. Uh, he mentioned hunger as a problem. Of course, when the recession hit in 2008, uh, uh, that, you know, it hits cities really hard. And Portland had big problems with, with hunger. They needed more emergency food boxes for, for individual meals, and they needed help in pantries and things like this. Well, the church stepped up in a big way. I want you to hear this. Um, it, it, the, uh, let's see. Um, today, 90% of all food pantries, just like local aid here that we work with in Junction City, 90% of all food pantries in the Portland area are run by faith-based groups. And 60% of the distribution comes by faith-based groups as well. In other words, the church is stepping up to feed the hungry in the city. 
That's like what the church is supposed to do. And so many people are like, well, now the government's doing that's supposed to be the church's job. And, and, and I think the church maybe a lot of times never looked around and go, oh, okay, so if that's our job, how do we do it? But instead, we got so political and just railed against the system and this and that without ever stepping up. Well, we're finding ways, and these guys are finding ways to step up and actually do it. Beautiful. So in addition to that, finally, there's the foster care system, which uh, uh, if you've been here recently, this is becoming a new big emphasis, not only in Christ Center, but in our region here. We feel like the Lord has said the church needs to help fix this problem. There's way too many kids uh, uh, that are in foster care that do not have a family uh, um, to take them in. Portland had this problem too. So the church uh, bands together, they form uh, Embrace Oregon and, and, and different things. So, so they come together and the, they start to work with the DHS office, start to tear, tear down some of the, the breaks in those relationships. They go and they renovate every single DHS office for foster care kids uh, throughout the Portland area. And then they begin to, to uh, recruit more families to become foster care parents. Now, this is a big deal. Uh, DHS uh, was not doing a very good job of this. So Embrace Oregon, the church group comes in, they recruit three times as many families as DHS did in all of Portland. You guys, <laughs> today, today there are foster families in Portland that are waiting for kids rather than kids waiting for families. This is amazing. So this kind of thing, this is a whole, it's sort of this whole new way of thinking of like, oh wait, so we don't have to be opposed to the culture. We can actually work with the culture, serve the city and meet the needs of the city. So this kind of thing is not happening just in Portland, it's happening all over the world. Uh, and there's a, there's a term for this type of ministry, and forgive me because this is go probably gonna become cliche very soon, but this is the term, and I love the term, it's called a gospel movement. This is what they're calling it. So here's the definition here. A gospel movement is a united, sustainable effort by churches and cultural leaders to transform their city by meeting critical needs and sharing the love and message of Jesus Christ. That's pretty cool, isn't it? So this is what we are aiming for right here in Junction City and Eugene. This is what we're aiming to do with the other One Hope churches to actually love the city in that way. So um, here's the question that I want to present to you today. Because this is a, a, a common fear when we do things like this. It, do we share the gospel through words or with deeds? And here's the reason I want to bring this up. Um, many, uh, uh, it, it, as we're involved in things like this, uh, many of these city-reaching methods that we're talking about require a whole lot more serving than speaking. And that makes some people uncomfortable because it, they're worried that uh, that's going to entail compromise. Um, they're, they're worried uh, that, you know, maybe are, are we trying to hide the message? And, you know, what, what do we do about this? But here's the reality. The, the further we get into this, the more we'll be serving alongside people, maybe who disagree with us vehemently on just about everything you can think of, except for the specific issue we're working with. And maybe they already know about the gospel and don't want any of it. Can we still serve next to them, or are we compromising? Or it could be like this. You could be in a place, uh, just like Kelly is, where you, you're just simply not allowed to share the gospel verbally to tell kids about Jesus. And, and if we're working with the public schools, oftentimes that might be the case. And the question is, is that okay? Because that makes some of us flinch a little bit, go, ooh, like, we're compromising then. So um, I want to lay it out this way. Uh, in thinking about words versus deeds with the gospel, you have an old school 
uh, movement and a new school. And the, the old school method uh, was this. It was, uh, uh, for those who were hardcore anyway with old school, um, evangelizing was a very specific thing. Evangelizing and reaching your neighbors, that's what you do when you tell somebody about the death and resurrection of Christ and you invite them to believe. Okay? It's striking up conversations about Jesus and then hoping to seal the deal. Okay? Anything short of that is not evangelism. So this is sort of the, uh, uh, could be uh, considered old school thinking. Now, here's a verse here that emphasizes the, the preaching of the gospel. How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? How will they believe in him who they have not heard? And how will they hear without a preacher? Everyone has to have a preacher if they're to understand the gospel. And there are many more verses that suggest the exact same thing. In other words, we've got to preach the gospel, friends, and that's, what, that's the emphasis. We've got to preach the gospel. And you guys, uh, it, it's true, we've got to preach the gospel. But if you push to, 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 to limit it just to that, um, well, you can wind up in weird places. You know, then it become, then the, the only important thing be that the message gets delivered in some way. Um, just so long as people are hearing it, it's our job to make them hear it. And the, the further we go in that, sometimes we can end up with stuff like this, where uh, we're just holding sandwich boards and we think we're done, or we're yelling at people and we think we're done, or even more, we just hand out these things and we think we're done. These are chick tracks. Anybody seen these before? Okay, listen, I'm going to be honest with you. I don't like these things at all. I just don't like these things. We keep seeing these things show up on our property. I, don't, I think they do a very poor job about... Uh, showing the character of God. I really do. So I don't, I'm not a huge fan of these things. There, there, were, there were times when tracks were uh, the thing that reached the culture. I want to suggest to you this. It's not that it can't work anymore, although I don't like this particular methodology. It's not that it can't work anymore, but in our culture, tracks in, in this culture, where we are, Junction City, Eugene area, this is not a very effective ministry anymore. Okay? I just want to lay that out there. Now, however, however, um, you can go uh, uh, in, into the new school method, and the new school method is very, very different. New schoolers, uh, those especially who are hardcore, uh, uh, they, they want to de-emphasize the words part of it. So new schoolers are all about action, justice, mercy, these things. And uh, uh, so it's all about service. And the gospel, new schoolers say, must be demonstrated in order to provoke interest in Christ. So here's a a particular scripture that, that is very clear about this. You're the light of the world. A city that's set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do they light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a lampstand, and it gives light to all who are in the house. Let your light shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. So uh, uh, many, would, many of the new school method, they, they, would, they would hold on to that, and then their mantra might be something like this. Uh, um, preach the gospel at all times, use words when necessary. You know that famous quote? Well, that's attributed to St. Francis of Assisi. There's no proof that he ever said that, by the way. It was like that came along 200 years after St. Francis of Assisi. I wish I didn't know that. Um, but uh, regardless, uh, th that's, the, that's the idea. Now, here's the thing. You guys can already see where I'm going with this, right? That we need balance in what we're saying. But here's, if you only took the new school method and said, I'm going to serve and I'm going to do practical things to provoke people to ask about the gospel, you're going to be sorely disappointed because this is not a practical way to let people know about Jesus. Here's, uh, uh, I thought, kind of a funny thing from a Christian satire site called the Babylon Bee. So this is not a real article. This is a fake article, okay? 
Man feeds the hungry at all times, uses food when necessary. A little snarky, but it's funny, isn't it? I mean, it, it makes the point, doesn't it? Can you practically feed a person without food? No. Can you practically tell someone about Jesus without actually telling them about Jesus? No. Do you see what I'm saying? So, there are a lot of, of, of reasons that people do good things. It doesn't automatically lead to, oh, well, they must do this because they love Jesus, and Jesus must love me. And that must mean Jesus died on the cross for my sins, and he must be building a new kingdom. It doesn't, it's not going to work that way. It's not going to work that way. So, here's where I, I'm coming down. Our neighbors are not going to understand the gospel unless we explain it. We need to speak. They're not going to believe the gospel unless we demonstrate it. We need to serve. Do you see this? It's going to take both. This is the only way to reach our community. It's going to take both. So, here's the question then. Uh, we need to use our mouths and our hands. But the question is this. How do we know when to use our mouths and when to use our hands? Well, if we want to be like Jesus, I suggest we do what Jesus does. You know what Jesus does? Right now, Jesus is listening to the petitions of his people and interceding for his people. Jesus is listening to the heart's cry of his people. If we want to be like Jesus and we really want to love our community, we need to use our ears. Not just our mouths and our hands, but our ears as well. And if we want to know, when is it time to serve, and when is it time finally to have a conversation with this person, maybe who we've seen a lot, well, we listen with our ears. We actually sit down with them and ask them how their life is going. We ask them, uh, uh, and, and we, we have communication with them. We get in real friendships. That's how. We actually ask. And I, I can't help but think, you know, this is, this is how it started up in Portland. Did you hear what Kevin said? They went to the mayor and they said, how can we serve? They didn't come in with a list and saying, here's what we're going to do to fix Portland. Here's what the church is going to do. No, they didn't do that. They came in as servants and they came in and said, can you tell us how we can love our city? And I think the same is individually. How do we know? We listen to our neighbors and we listen to the Holy Spirit. And we say, is now the time to speak or is now the time to serve? In other words, guys, we're not compromising by serving. We're going to be very strategic as we move forward in this gospel movement. As we move forward in reaching our friends and our neighbors, we're going to be strategic. We're not going to just give part of the gospel. We're going to give the whole gospel. The gospel of salvation, the gospel of the kingdom, together. Finally, I want to show you this verse. Here's something that Paul said to the Corinthians. You are our epistles written in our hearts, known and read by all men. Clearly, you are an epistle of Christ, ministered by us, written not with ink, but by the Holy Spirit of the living God. Not on tables of stone, but on tablets of flesh. That is, of the heart. What does that mean? You are an epistle of Christ. An epistle, guys, is a letter. He's saying to this, to the church, you are our letter. You are a letter of Christ. In other words, this, you, church, are the message. You, Christ Center, are the message. You are Christ's message to the world. It's not a matter of just speaking or serving. It's you being who God's called you to be. You bringing Jesus in you out. 
You being there to encourage, you being there to listen, you being there to love, to speak, to serve. You are the message. And when people see you, not just your deeds, but hear your words, hopefully those things will line up. When they see you, they understand the goodness of God, they understand the transformative work of God, and they understand what Jesus did for them. All of those things together, words, deeds, hands, mouths, ears, all together. And here's what this preacher, W.A. Cresswell, said. He said this, now may I make an earnest appeal? The testimony of Christ is you. The message of Christ is you. The deposit of the Christian witness is you. Our ministry to the world is you. Each one of the members of the church is a syllable and a word, and the whole congregation is the letter of God. Without you, there's not any testimony. Without you, there's not any witness. If a tract would do it, I'd do my utmost to raise all the money that I could find and print tracts by the thousands and thousands and scatter them everywhere a man would receive or take it, but it won't. The letter is you, the message is you, the epistle is you. And we're gonna reach our community, not just through scripted words, we're gonna reach our community with all of us by showing up and loving our neighbors for real. Amen? Let's stand together. Lord, we thank you. We thank you, Lord, for what you're doing, not only in Portland, but for what you're doing right now in our community. And Lord, I pray that you would help these things to sink into our minds and hearts. Lord, that you would take out the fear of serving next to people. Uh, and Lord, that you would take out the fear of speaking your name and your truths. Help us, Lord, to be consistent people that our message would match our lives and give us boldness, Lord. Please give us boldness as we move forward in the things you've called us to. In the mighty name of Jesus, amen. Amen. Prayer servant team is available. If you need prayer for anything whatsoever, they'll be right up here. And we will see you guys down the cafeteria.